Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Disjotic Confusion Thursday Night Hangout. Yeah. Oh, that was weird. Your yo, actually, I think you maxed out your mic because I cut it off. Ha <laughs> ha. Ladies and gentlemen, I, of course, am your host, Charlie, and I'm joined once again by the Pilfer Comer himself, Zelius. And I just spilled my bourbon. I'm going to kill myself. Oh, jeez. That's two spills in one day, Zelius. This is a bad day of spillage. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I should just never drink anything ever again in my life. I would not recommend that. Well, I guess I'll reverse that decision. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this, of course, is the Thursday Night Hangout. It's like this weekly live show where we try our best to cover the topics most important to you during the show. If you haven't submitted your topic, question, etc., have no fear. All you, all you got to do is drop it into the chat, be it on Twitch, YouTube, or Facebook, and we will add it to the show. Also, if you have any opinions, please drop them in the chat so we can add them to the show. So we can tell you how you're wrong. Or how so very right you are. But no, because I'm always right, therefore you're wrong. Is that how the game works? No. Is that how every talk show ever worked? No. Oh, okay. No, no. Some... I guess you're watching too many sports radios then. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of opinionated idiots out there who mm. unfortunately had their one moment of fame and it went straight to their head. There's actually one show that I actually really like watching. It's in one of the morning sports shows. Mm -hmm. And most of the talking heads I actually like, but there's one who comes on. You can probably guess who he is because it has to do with college football. It's not Paul Fonbaum, is it? Oh, 100%. Oh, I Um, dropkicked that dude. And like most of the guys who are like antagonists, I can deal with. He's the one who comes on the show where I just can't take it. Like he's so bad. Like he's Stephen A. Smith bad. And he's, I can't watch like, why. But he doesn't though. scream. That's the crazy part. Well, that's true. But he's just so he's so transparently antagonistic. That's I just can't take it. He's like the one guy in that show. I'm just like, nope. Yeah, he's no, it's bad. it's all because Hi- Harvey Updike called his his show to say that he poisoned the the oaks at in Auburn. Like I know this will make me sound like a homer, but just trade him out for David Pollock. It'd be much better. I don't think they can afford them. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, anyways, so, um, ladies and gentlemen, if you have been following uh, Alter Confusion uh, on any of the social media platforms, which, of course, we're on a ton of them, uh, you may have noticed that I uh, commented about a... We got dinged again on Facebook. Uh, we... Uh, we were dinged by the Universal Music uh, Group, which, um, no, I don't mean like universal as in the universe. No, UMG, yeah. Yeah, UMG, which is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know who who's all under that label. But anyways, we got dinged for the first 30-odd seconds of our show. But here's the fun fact. Oh, there's during, fun? During that 30 seconds... This was actually before the the real show started. So this was we were streaming before the actual show. And yep. it was me talking to a frozen screen Zelius. That's it. <laughs> 30 seconds of me going, huh, that's weird. It's kind of awkward. I hope Zelius nice. comes back. I wonder what he's doing. Nice. That's it. I mean, it's literally 30 seconds of that. And we got muted in basically every country for the first 30 seconds. You, sir, shall never talk to yourself again. 
That actually reminds me of a, do you mind if I start with a story? Absolutely. Go for it. So I did put in Discord. So there's a pretty popular um, Final Fantasy 14 streamer, Zeppla. That's not her real name. That's her pen name. Of course. Um, and she's actually from, U well, she's actually from the United States, moved to Ukraine um, well before the war. And then she left because of the war and she's now in the States. Well, this week, uh, approximately earlier this week, she was banned. A, she didn't know she was banned. She tries logging into basically Streamlabs, and all it does is give basically the equivalent of authentication error. And so she's like, oh, that's odd. So she asked like her friends, and her friends like, yeah, you've been banned, which they found out about through the Twitter like stream ban feed that yep. her account had been banned. So she looks into it. Yes. So she looks into it, and she finds out the ban from an email, because she was also, by the way, sick all week, so she couldn't even have streamed. She was banned for impersonating herself in one of her VODs. Mm -hmm. Now, the other catch, too, is, so she's a Twitch partner, is not only, like, it's one thing if you get, like, banned for, like, if there's, like, an hour and eight minutes and, like, nothing else happens, like, okay, life goes on. Yep. The problem is, is it's a very well-known issue with Twitch, where if you get the permaban because it was originally like posted as a permaban mm -hmm. is you lose all your followers mm -hmm. at the same time um and so when she logged in she had like basically eighty thousand of her two hundred thousand plus original followers her vod's were deleted because mm -hmm. permaban so it wasn't just like the permaban which most people could probably live with that if it gets overturned right quickly enough it's all the other shit that goes into it where all of a sudden you lose your followers, your subscribers, people who like were following her no longer shows up on the feed. Now she posted in her video, like she's by far not the first one who's gone through. It's almost like a Twitch rite of passage when you get the perma ban for basically no good reason. And of course the best part is like she posts the email and it's like after a thorough examination of your account, we have come to the conclusion that you're in person of impersonation and of course, the part with her that gets her is not just obviously the impersonation thing, mm -hmm. but she's been reported Twitch for years of people impersonating her with fake, basically, um, phishing accounts. Yep. Which you can guess what happens to those accounts. Absolutely nothing. So it's not like do you get, they, need like, an, they need enough evidence to actually do something about it. Yeah. So it's not only do you get the permaban for impersonating yourself, it's when this has been a fight that as a streamer, she'd been fighting for years and reporting to Twitch and having her whole cadre of followers reported to Twitch. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back. I mean, I know we reported on Twitch issues in the past. It's by far not the first one. And it's a thing where, like, you know, people are relying on using, leveraging Twitch as a platform, as their income stream, and yet things like this still happen with massive bugs like all of your followers in videos being deleted when this happens um, is pretty crazy. So it's like, wow. Um, so yeah, that's a shit way to basically for her to wake up for being sick for a week. Cause I mean, the, the thing, the thing that you have to, that maybe some, some people don't understand is that, you know, this was like Zeely said, uh, she lost a ton of followers. Uh, I think at one count, there was 150,000 followers that were uh, basically nuked off of this account because it was permaban. Um, those are paying accounts. Those are 
people who subscribed to her channel that were paying for her channel to get access to the VODs and all that stuff. And not only did did all of that, you know, all the that monetary value drop, but but all of you know the the VODs, videos on demand, that are kind of uh, special items for those who are subscribing. They're all gone too. Um, and the weird thing is, it's like it seems like mm-hmm. as people log back in, like they may or may not regain that following subscription again. But it's not yep. like a surefire, like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. Once you log back in, you'll get everything back. It's like there's definitely people who are like, yeah, I was subscribed and I'm no longer subscribed to you. Like, it's just gone. And then some people are like, yeah, it just came back. So it's not even like a rhyme or reason to it. It's just hit or miss. Well, here, here's here's another thing that um, that occurs a lot uh, when you when you see these subscriber purges. Um is that there's quite a few people who have Amazon Prime. And as an Amazon mm. Prime member, you mm. have a free one subscrip- subscription to a channel. So I'm sure that there was a bunch uh, of them who probably used that one free on her. And yep. then when the ban hit, if they happened to be on, they may have moved that subscription to something else. And now you're like, we love... Uh, what many people might be thinking is, well, I love all our content. However, I can't afford to subscribe to her channel without that prime freebie. So I'm sorry, but you lost me. I mean, you would think like there would almost be, obviously, I mean, my guess is it was some kind of AL algorithm that probably flagged her account, most likely because of the geolocation, because she moves so much. But almost like you would think if you're at least a, twitch partner mm-hmm. that that would actually be like uh, reviewed by human like i get twitch cannot review every band like there's so many going on regularly like that's right. just not possible but like i would think being a twitch partner would at least be that barrier of entry of like hey let's at least get a second set of eyes on this perma man to see if it was actually really needed um yeah. hell, even like a, a Twitch partner more than a month old. Yeah. Probably has a pretty good chance that they would do something really egregious to actually get that permaban at that point. And there's, I can't imagine there's that many, honestly, permabans for Twitch partners more than a month old. I would assume it's actually pretty rare. Wouldn't know. At that point. Ultra Confusion, after however many years we've been using Twitch, finally made affiliate. So, yeah. So it's like, I mean, I get that they're not going to review every permanent and nobody's expecting them to, but like when you get to a certain point, I would expect a certain level of, dare I say, customer service um, where those kind of things are reviewed. Um, and the interesting thing to me is like, and it's not just this account, like Twitch never says anything. It's just, it's the original email and then just dead silence. Yeah. It's, yeah, just nothing after that. Um, and this has been, I mean, this has been a Twitch, I would call it an issue since Twitch has been around. So it's not like it's anything new. Um, but this is definitely another high profile case of, you know, streamers where this is their livelihood mm-hmm. and definitely adversely affecting their livelihood. And you know, think about it, if you're doing this, like as 
your profession and you log in and all of a sudden you see that's lost, like I would kind of be a little bit emotionally wrecked too. Not going to lie. I'm like, holy shit. I just basically lost my career. What? Mm-hmm. And then eventually it gets figured out, but there's still that moment of probably like doubt of like, you know, for these streamers, the reality, is, the streamers shouldn't do it as a living. The reality is that's their life. Right. No, uh, it'd, be, it'd be like, it just is. There's no way around it because the number of hours they have to devote to it. Oh, absolutely. It would be like, um, here's, here's my quick analogy. It It's like you, you go to a, let's just say a building to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point, at the let's say the end of the month, you basically get a bucket full of money. Yep. And so, and you're it's a con. This is this bucket is usually about the same amount every single month, but it would be like showing up one day, just one random day out of the month, finding that the door is locked, that the locks have been changed, and they're like, "Oh shit, our bad." An hour and eight minutes later, and when you go in there to look at the bucket, it's completely empty. So funny story. When I worked as a server slash bartender at Rio Bravo uh-huh. years ago, um, that kind of happened. We just showed up the one day to work, and the padlock was on the door. There was absolutely zero warning, nothing. You just show up one day, and the franchise was closed. And it's just padlock on the door, and well, I guess we don't have jobs anymore. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean that. Sometimes the padlock, sometimes it's HR waiting right inside the door to be like, hey, by the way, let's talk about your severance package. Wait, you get a severance package? If you've been with a company long enough, probably. Yeah, man. But yeah, I, that, I mean, that absolutely sucks yeah. for her. Um, hardcore. And I hope, I hope, I pray that Twitch, you know, gets everything back for her because she did nothing wrong. Um, I mean, once again, Ultra Confusion, much smaller channel, but having to constantly every single week fight on just Facebook, a freaking copyright violation for our own voices for random audio is ridiculous. But to think if you basically times that by probably 150,000. Yeah. That's 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 nuts. Well, other thing she was talking about too, which I did not know this. Yeah, is as a Twitch partner, mm-hmm. you basically can't also simultaneously live stream on other services to make money off of those. Aha! So you got to rotate. Yeah, and I was like, so I think like what she does is like she put like she'll live stream on Twitch and then post that on YouTube later. Right. right. Um, but she's saying like Ninja, for instance, I guess he's not a Twitch partner anymore because he's doing the live stream however he makes money on the service other mm-hmm. services like google live he can still don't do it on twitch because he's not a twitch partner right which to me is honestly a little bit of bullshit um that as long as you're kind of meeting those partner criteria i think you should be able to also simultaneously do it on other services with that an issue so i'm like that's in bs in my mind at least that you basically can't. Well, they, they want that exclusivity. They they don't want to share. Because um, yeah. here here's here's a fun fact, ladies and gentlemen. The money that goes to your f- favorite streamers does not all go to your favorite streamers. There is a chunk that goes to um, Twitch 
or YouTube or whatever. And so they want, they don't want your viewers to be, they want all your viewers on one platform. So they get all to my knees. Which is one thing if they didn't have such large fuck ups. I mean, that's part of it too, is it's, and I think that's what kind of brings that issue to a head is it's not, you know, it'd be kind of one thing if these things didn't happen, Mm -hmm. but would you potentially lose all your followers and get someone back? I get that when that happens, but you're not allowed to basically use the other revenue sources. That's kind of crosses the line of BS to me. Right. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, like I said, hopefully everything gets ironed out. However, our next story deals with a Twitch streamer that deserves the uh, swift kick in the nuts that he re- that he received from oh, Twitch. Oh dear! Uh, there is a Twitch streamer that goes by the name, the moniker, I believe. I just want to make sure I get this right. Um, oh shoot! Okay, it's it's Slicker, but I want to say that his oh, it's Slicker is his um, his Twitch. Uh, username, and basically, it just makes me feel dirty. Just yeah, that name. D- yeah. But but anyways, um, Twitch has removed uh the ability to subscribe to his channel uh, amid a slew of controversy around this gentleman. Uh, Twitch is not the only platform that has removed uh the ability for this gentleman to gain money. YouTube has also uh, revoked certain uh, privileges as well. Uh, the reason for this is that he has been accused of and has admitted to uh, scamming his viewers. And Mm. by scamming, what he basically does is he finds a way to help feed his gambling addiction. And so he'll (laughs) sucker people in to send him money so that he can continue to stream his gambling pleasure. Now, fun fact, uh, Twitch has now um, is making sweeping changes to policies revol- revolving around online gambling. Um, you, uh, streamers are no longer allowed to stream uh, gambling uh, from sites like stake.com and, and whatnot. Um, but um, yeah. Scamming bad. I look. I understand that some people are like, "Well, I'm providing them a service. If they feel that I'm cool enough to get their money, who's to stop me?" But Twitch apparently. Um, so, can you live stream like poker on Twitch, for instance? I, I think you could do a. I don't think you could do like from a. Um, I don't think you could stream a you playing online poker from a site i think that you could probably stream like if you're i see it actually i just google real quick and i mean there's 4.1 thousand followers watching a world series of poker um right but that but but those world series are those people who are playing the streamer yeah are they is it live stream yeah, like so. This is like a yeah. There's a live stream, Poker Stars, blah 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 blah, going on right now. Welcome Wait, to it? the official Poker Stars Twitch account. Okay, see, that's the official Poker Stars Twitch account. That is the site. 
right? That's that's the official site. I'm talking about a streamer who is utilizing a gambling site on their stream. That's that's where they draw yeah, the line. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of poker ones. Well, apparently whatever this dude has done, he do those sites have subscriber buttons? Uh yes. Then I don't know what Twitch is doing. Thanks a lot, I mean, Celia. Revoke the whole damn story. But there also might be potentially land delineation as far as, you know, legitimate poker sites. Yeah. Where they're gank. I mean, because the whole point of poker is it's not a it's a game of skill, not a chance, relatively speaking. <laughs> For you're still theory, gambling. A, gambling is a game of chance. That that's what it is. So is poker gambling then? Everything is gambling, damn it. Every single time I take a step, <laughs> I'm gambling with my life. <laughs> damn it. Like, how do we stream anything ever? I don't know. But the, que- the the question becomes, and I think this is where he got in trouble, is that he was being payrolled or back whatever, backed by his subscribers whenever he asked for it. He's probably going, you know, if you do this, I'll be your friend for life. And you're like, sucker. Isn't that the whole point of subscribe? I mean, that's why a lot of people subscribe to Twitch streamers in the first place. No. Okay, so there's a difference between subscribing and then subscribing and then continuously donating additional money to this guy to feed his habit. Is that basically Star Citizen? Okay. Celius? I'm not helping, am I? No. No, you're not. You're making me angry, and and unfortunately, my brain no worky tonight. So you're taking advantage of my my brain no worky. So you're saying my life goal is completed? Sure. Why not? Yeah. No, I I think there is, I mean, in all seriousness, like, let's just take the example of poker, which I think most people would consider just that first blush gambling. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's a difference where if I'm a Twitch streamer and I'm streaming poker and I'm playing legitimately, I think is also the key here is it's yep. like a legitimate, you know, poker. I'm playing through poker stars versus like, I'm just gambling like on slots or something. Cause there are other online slot games. So I think it's also in how you do it. I do think makes a difference um, as far as, and you know, in a way gambling is, just straight up gambling is still very much a gray area as far as legality goes in the first place. Um, so I can understand why Twitch is a little bit would come down hard on the gambling. Um, I think it's also on how do you promote that to your user base, right? Like it's one thing if the only access on your Twitch page is basically click here and subscribe. It's obviously I'm a poker stars player and that's who you're subscribing to. Versus, hey, give me some low-down money to feed my gambling addiction are two different things. Okay. Uh, Twitch announced a policy update prohibiting streaming of sites that include slots, roulette, and dice games. So it wasn't poker that he got in trouble for, apparently. Which Uh, I get, because those are more, you know, in the scale, the spectrum of gambling. Right. Those are your classic gambling games of chance. Right. So, uh, like I said, slots, roulette, and dice games that aren't licensed in the U.S. or mm. other markets with robust consumer protections, which, which goes see, to was, the validity of a website. Because that was always one of the issues when, I mean, the big poker boom in, like, really the early 2000s, 
that was always one of the questions when you go play poker on, you know, let's just say poker stars, like, was that playing against actual humans or were you playing against AI bots? Right. They said it was humans, but you didn't really know. Well, there was that, um, um, what's it? Call of Duty. Um, those Call of Duty streamers that, um, that had this, like, they were promoting this, like, um, like a raffle website to to get cool loot crates, mm. but they never disclose the fact that they are part owners of this website. And so it was amazing when they kept, you know, with, with their amazing chance of winning the slightly rarer than usual skin. Well, that was kind of, I mean, to kind of bring it to the next level, which I know is a issue like probably more so in Europe, is games like Raid Shadow Legends, which is basically a glorified gambling game when you come to loot boxes. And those are pretty, some of them are pretty popular on Twitch Yeah. as far as those type of games go. And I have no problem with it. I mean, if people are watching it, cool. But that kind of goes from, you know, your classic game. of I mean, it's basically rolling dice to get characters to make you better at the game is mm -hmm. really what those games come down to. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, so it can be tricky. Um, I don't think most people, myself included, is going to have much of an issue if they just ban your classic gambling websites like roulette and just dice games. I'm like, eh, whatever. I can't play Yahtzee anymore. Dude, you ever used to play Yahoo games? Yes. Those were fun. Like all those games, they're all in Yahoo games. So those of you who don't know, back in the day, many eons ago, um, it was actually really popular to play like your classical card games or dice games online. And Yahoo was actually a very popular um, server forum. I played the hell out of spades back in the day. Spades um, and chess, man. That's all I yeah, played. I, I was a huge. I was actually really pretty damn good at spades at one time in my life. Um, that was that, my game. Like, shit, can I say that? Well, fuck it. I'm so far removed, it doesn't matter. Um, once upon a time, I worked for a mobile game uh, studio. And one of the projects that technically, I think, was published, but got like an ov like a graphic overhaul, Yeah, was uh, a game that I made, uh, Spade. I made a Spades game for cell phones uh, through this nice. company. But unfortunately, I got laid off and the company kind of shifted assets and stuff. And I think one of the assets was my, my actual spades game. Cause I wrote the whole damn thing out. I had AI and all that shit in there. Nice. I, I mean, I won't go any, any further detail. I mean, you could probably pull up my, my resume on LinkedIn and, and find out the exact company, but it, spades Ooh. is not listed underneath my published things. Cause fun. That, that's, I actually created spades the game. I love, you know, for cell phones before iPhone, you know, it's amazing. Um, no, um, one thing that that sucks about being a developer uh, or being in the video game industry is you if a game is not published, you cannot put it on your resume. Huh. You could really? say that you worked on an untitled project and, and basically say, you know, I, I helped with uh, the game mechanics, uh, AI development, 
for for a cell for a card cell phone game. But that's it. You can't get any more specific than that. Why do you sign like an NDA for it? Because until it is published, it is uh, yeah. Basically, you when everything internal in the company has to stay secret until it's actually shown off to the public. What about video games that are perpetually early access and never actually go live? If the consumers or the public at large were to ever see it, then you could say, I worked on it. Hmm. But if it stays in studio, if it I mean, never like, sees. Is it illegal or something? I mean, or is it just taboo? It's. You could, uh, it's more taboo than anything. Uh, okay. Technically, the, the company could go after you for, you know, because let's say that I revealed that I worked on a super secret project for this amazing game um, uh, that the company never came out for. And then the company gets all this like bad press and all this shit, and then they're losing sales. And it's because of what I said. Huh, and so fair. I could be sued for it. Hmm. Fair enough. So yes, I worked on quite a few different games on that company. My only, my true claim to fame, once again, MLB, Major League Baseball, 08, on the cell phone. Nice. You should update it, man. Update it for no. the Microsoft Palm Pilot. The entire, okay, Palm Pilot was not Microsoft. Um, the, the entire playoff system in that game was me. I did the entire playoff system. Thank you very much. Anywho, moving on. <laughs> um, speaking of AI and programming, let's talk about the rise of uh, a certain artificial intelligence that is causing problems. Uh, as computers get more sophisticated, as AI artificial intelligence algorithms get more sophisticated, um, or ro more robust, you're seeing more AI-produced um, content. Um, mm. There have been there have been AI-created novels. There's been AI-created movie scripts, which is actually really funny to to like read through because they're absolutely atrocious, but would be really good like D-level movies. Like probably could get a cult following. Following, um, but. And there's also I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there is a video game uh, that that is the puzzles are AI um, like created. Um, but the the main reason why I want to bring up AI is the fact that there has been this uptick in AI generated art. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, what what and um, I think one of the big AI um, uh, platforms called Dall E or Dall E D A L L dash E, and basically what it does is it it AI generates artwork, um, and also and and puts it on the NFT uh, marketplace. What's up, Chip? Um, and the the issue is that you get a lot of a lot of this AI generated art, which could sell up to $24,000 that are basically 
derivatives of art that's still is out there. Um, one of the main artists, and this really, I mean, this really just like stabs me in the heart and makes it, it hurts so bad. There is, uh, an artist name and I'm going, he's a Poland based digital creator. And I, I hope I get his whole name correct. Uh, first name is Greg. Uh, second name is, or his last name is Rutkowski. I think that's how you pronounce it. And the thing that really just like stabs me in the heart is, uh, my nine to five job is centered around accessibility and compliance so, uh, so that all individuals have equal access to information uh, in a, at a university, uh, which basically means that an, indiv an individual who is deaf or blind should have the same opportunity and the same level of access as someone who is not. So this gentleman, he goes the extra mile. And what he does is there's there's something you could do when you post images online, and that's called an alt tag. It's an alternative text tag. It's something that's not seen. It's um, it's something that a screen reader will, uh, will interpret so that an individual who is blind can get the gist of the picture. Um, so this, but because this gentleman uses alt tags, it makes it so much easier to um, for what's called an art scraper, the the basically the AI going out and and trying to grab images. Like if you were to put in, if you were to Google, I don't know, uh, fire breathing dragon, you're gonna get a ton of images. Now the AI algorithm takes a step further and. We'll also read the alt tags to help index the, the more important ones. Because that means that the artist is actually going the extra step, which is what you're supposed to. But anyways, so this dude has been getting his shit pilfered hardcore. Um, so the argument that's being made, or I guess early stages, is if, you, if an AI scraper is going to utilize art to help refine whatever algorithms they're going to use should it should the scraper i don't know how the hell you would do this but should the scraper only have access to dead artists work so basically it's really weird to say because an artist should always get the love and attention for the work that they put their blood sweat and tears and years into but at the same time an individual who's still living is still making money off their art, right? I think it's tricky though because we're also trying to basically assign ideals, basically for most for like really the last couple hundred years, yeah, to a new world. And I think like I mean, basically look at everything having to do with copyright. We're trying to apply free, really internet copyright ideals which is really kind of what we're talking about to a new world is really what it comes down to so i guess the question is do we really want to apply kind of a different paradigm of thinking with what really is a new way of interacting with the world it is kind of what it comes down to because i know where this is going is basically with the scrapers they basically is access to any artwork posted online yep so the question is to me, is, do we acknowledge that 
fact and just realize, hey, guess what? The genie's already out of the bottle. I mean, you're not going to go back in time and magically stop a scraper from doing this. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it is it is what it is. And in my mind, and maybe it's a little harsh, it's up to that artist to kind of add that value that makes their artwork valuable regardless of a scraper utilizing their artwork. That's kind of how I look at it. See, or you go old school and you don't digitalize it. Right. Meaning you only but, sell it like, for instance, like at conventions. And I know somebody could take a picture and post online. But like, for instance, when I buy stuff at Dragon Con, people aren't really going around posting that online, like in a high def format or anything like that. Right. But at the same time, I mean, I think, I think that this thing got worse. Uh, this story has become, I guess, or, or, yeah, this has become more of an issue because of COVID, because there haven't been those in-person ability. Yes. If you want to get the most exposure, you have to post your, you have to have it in person. You have to have it online. You have to have it accessible 24 seven, but yeah. because of COVID, uh, and everything shutting down and, and the ability to show it off, uh, physically, you're, you're, having to make all of your bread via online. And so to, I don't know, this, this just hurts so bad for me because the dude, I can't tell you how many times I, I have to scream into a pillow because people do not understand that they can't just randomly post shit on a, on a public uh, educational website. Um, if you get money from the government, it has to be accessible for everyone. MIT, great initiative. They posted a huge chunk of their uh, uh, recorded lectures online for free. But, to me, that's, but that's kind of the perfect, I think you're right. Though. That's the perfect example of MIT recognizing this is like, we're in the 2000s. Shit's online for free everywhere. I mean, they are you're kind of competing in a way like with, you know, the Khan Academies. Yes, and so, but they suffered a $54 million lawsuit. Mm, Why? Because it was not accessible, yeah. Because there's no closed caption. True. This guy actually checked all the fucking boxes and he's getting dinged more than anybody. But I think the other the other thing that, that uh, kind of potentially could rub an individual, uh, someone, a, a creator the wrong way is that an AI scraper pulls their stuff off and it's yes, just enough off that it looks slightly different, but somehow it get, you know, there's the thing that you don't want is you don't want people to, and this is why, unfortunately this Nintendo be, being huge against fan projects is they don't want the the off chance of being associated with shit. And you know that reminds me of this. Remember MomoCon? This was probably about five years ago when there was that artist booth who basically took other artists' work, clearly from conventions, and would like change it by a pixel. No, 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 no. He added a filter. Or added a filter. It was like it was obviously somebody else was there that he filtered. Um, people were not amused. Well, 
you cannot. Yes, I understand. The dude did make, you know, um, he he had a, a cool, sneaky thing. But if you are going to do anime conventions exclusively, you cannot rip off the artists that go to anime, anime conventions exclusively by stealing their work. Basically, from my understanding, um, some of the artwork that he that he ripped off was he bought it, he scanned it in, he applied some kind of like slight blur filter and turn around and try to sell it for like double the price. But it's kind of ironic though, because if you think about it, and I know I get it because the artists at conventions, they're kind of, we would call them the normal people like you and me. We also look at it and you also have tons of booths yeah. at the conventions that are literally copies of Mario that are reprinted onto a t-shirt. Yes. Um, and we're all okay with it, relatively speaking, because it's Nintendo or Microsoft, whoever it is. And so it doesn't really matter. They could take a hit to the wallet. Yeah, they could take a hit to the wallet. So should, and I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm like, whatever. But it's just kind of interesting to me how we kind of do play a little bit of the moral, morality, mental gymnastics in terms of whether you want to call it ripping it off or derivative, or we want to call it, of artwork, depending on... As you put it, can you afford to take that hit to the wallet? I think it also, I think also it, it you have to factor in the amount of effort because this dude literally just like scanned the thing in, applied a filter, print it out. Where yeah. you've got artists who are spending weeks on one piece, you know. So here's the interesting one I started to see in conventions now, uh-huh. which is kind of fascinating to me, is. Um, Vendors at cons who th- have 3D printed stuff. Um, and so what I mean by stuff, what I've started to see, for instance, are like dice holders and cups and figurines that are all 3D printed. Mm-hmm. And what I find more interesting to me, because I've talked to them all because I do 3D printing. So I'm like, how are you doing this? Are you actually creating it? Because I, knew, I already knew the answer just was no based on the quality. But I was like, so are you creating this? And it's interesting to me because they're not actually creating the content. They're going online, and I don't know if they're licensing or not, to be fair. For all I know, they are licensing and paying out like a percentage to the original author as possible. But it's interesting to me, as all these 3D printer guys that if you see at a convention, is they're not creating it themselves. They're reprinting somebody else's design, mm-hmm. and they're using the exact same 3D printer that I have behind me. And that's what they're bringing to conventions. Um, to sell at their vendors. So I just kind of find interest. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I know it's, their markup. I'm like, damn, I should be doing this. It's kind of like um, many, many, many like years ago, there was a couple of conventions I went to where literally um, you had this one booth that had one of those like uh, button makers. Yep. <laughs> and they went to, they would, they went to the dollar bin uh, at the comic, uh, comic book vendor, uh, booth. And they would just buy a bunch of those, bring it back to their thing, find some good pictures from those and mm. then turn them into buttons and turn around and sell them for like five bucks a pop. I mean, that's actually kind of an interesting take on, to be honest, they're still re kind of mixing the format and stuff. That's yeah. actually kind of cool. Yeah. Um, uh, but I just yes. I, like I watched this lady who was just like thumbing through the comic, going, "Shh, 
Yeah, we were at an art festival a couple weeks ago, and this guy was selling little 3D prints of like Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And it was like almost like little quarter size things, and mm-hmm. they're five bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that probably cost them a quarter to print. See, that's the one thing I don't. I don't know how much. How much does it cost for like a reel of whatever or? So, like, typically speaking, just mm-hmm. a spool of filament will cost me about 20 bucks. Um, and depending on the complexity of it, mm-hmm. well, it really, but then it comes down to the amount of filament as far as what's going to cost. So, like, those little, like, Chotsky things, like, if it's, like, yay big, mm-hmm. I could probably print, like, literally, like, 100 of those giving me a spool of filament. Okay, they don't so take five money. bucks, 100 of them, 500 bucks for a $20 spool. Yeah, so it's and that and like it to me it's a little bit different. Like if you're designing yourself, mm-hmm. that I totally get. I'm like, yeah, you know, artwork as far as creating it. But I feel a little bit differently if you're just repurposing somebody else's. I also if you're licensing it, so they get I'm just making up numbers like 50% of the cut, then cool. But like anybody could technically go on Thingiverse, it's a popular basically remix website of um 3D print files. Mm-hmm. Everybody can go on Thingiverse, download somebody else's thing, and print that and bring it to a convention. Uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. I've only started to see in the last, really since COVID. I think Mm -hmm. it really kind of took off during COVID. A bunch of people, myself included, got 3D printers. Um, So I'm just kind of interested to see kind of where that goes with conventions in the future. I guess we'll see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pause for a second to do the Friends of the Show. These are the amazing um, individuals who are our patrons and supporters, uh, some of them from way, way back, and they still continue to support us, which is amazing. Um, which is real quick before I get into this, uh, a an individual who has been watching Ultra Confusion streams, be it on the Thursday Hangout or uh, just gaming streams forever, popped up in, and he asked me, or they asked me if I remember their their screen name. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I remember them. Like, yeah, I had to change it. But I was like, holy crap. And he's like, dude, you've been doing this a long time. Like, gee, thanks. <laughs> I don't know how yes. I feel about that. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into the friends of the show. To start it off, we got to talk about the Indie Cluster. The Indie Cluster is an organization of independent game developers that want to gain exposure by being involved in the community. They collectively journey to popular conferences as a traveling booth to help gain attention for their games. They make partnerships in local communities to bring games to the mainstream mindset. They highlight local, unusual, and rare concepts to challenge the paradigm of the common. They also host events to teach kids and minority groups about game development to hopefully one day enter the industry themselves. For more information, go to IndieCluster.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-C-L-U-S-T-E-R.com. Yes. And fun fact, if you're in the Atlanta area, Indie Cluster is actually having a uh, fundraising event this Saturday. So if you're interested, uh, go to uh, check out their Facebook page. I think all their information is there. Nice. The next shout-out, of course, that we got to give is to Noodle Point Media. 
Founded in 2015 by Andrew Tran. Noodle Boy Media, previously Wackkid47 Media, it's your choice for professional photo shoots and panel recordings at conventions. They pride themselves in providing a high level of professionalism, top-notch experiences, and quality services. If you want more information and to view their full list of services, check out facebook.com slash noodleboymedia today. Now, the next shout-out I've got to give to is the amazing individual who has been adjusting my back for countless years at this point. And he was actually here today to help uh, with some of the weekly stress that I have gained because it's been a long-ass week. That, of course, is Hirokiopractic. Hirokiopractic is a unique healthcare practice set up by Ryan Moore. The company's focused to elevate a patient's experience of freedom, creative expression, and joy. They believe that everyone can be a hero and has incredible heroic potential inside themselves waiting to be unleashed. Hero Chiropractic focuses on mobile chiropractic care in the greater Atlanta area. They are committed to healing clients by creating a plan of action uniquely suited for each person. They make that plan of action as convenient and affordable as possible, and most importantly, suited to your individual needs. If you want more information, go to HeroChiropractic.com. Now, let us talk about the maestro himself, an amazing individual that helped us out in a weird-ass situation where our copyright-free music became copyrighted. So, ladies and gentlemen, let us, let's give a shout-out to Crosspad Creative. Need a new logo or want to work on a full branding and content strategy? Or maybe you need music or audio for your content, just like Ultra Confusion. Crosspad Creative offers a full host of solutions for individuals and small businesses. Just email Josh at crosspadcreative at gmail.com and see what he could do for you. The funny thing is that every single time that I post about our latest Facebook um, um, copyright claim, he always reached out and goes, dude, Please tell me it's not the music this time. Like, no, dude, it's never your music. It's it's just us talking. Nice. Apparently, what well, we're actually impersonating our own um, voices from previous shows, sir. Apparently, go. Oh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the final shout out we got to give to give out is Agile Axiom by Day X. Leads both of development team and system administration team working with satellites at NASA's Goddard campus. But while not in meetings and many times during, he is the Agile Evangelist Agile Axe, championing the philosophy of Agile and trying to make the world a better place for software developers, testers, system admins, and software projects the world over. Decades of experience in software development and leading Agile teams are brought to bear against evil processes, ineffective work, and bad habits. For more information, go to agileaxiom.com. That's A G I L E A X I O M.com. Now, actually, I think we might still have this graphic here. Ladies and gentlemen, I do want to give a quick shout out. There is a an individual that Zelius and I have supported uh, ever since he truly stepped into the realm of uh, game making. And he has a Kickstarter that's coming up uh, really, really soon. So I do want to give a shout out to. Uh, Nerdburger Games. Nerdburger Games is an amazing organization. Their latest project, Code Warriors, is going live on Kickstarter September 27th. 
So if you, I'm almost 100% sure that you've heard us talk about nonstop uh, capers, uh, merge and acquisitions, um, good strong hands. I mean, they this dude knows his shit. And to be totally honest with you, if you want to ever run a successful Kickstarter, you need to be like buddy-buddy with Craig Campbell, the mastermind behind Nurburger Games, because this dude knows his stuff. So once again, mark your calendars, because I know I've already done it. For Kickstarter, September 27th, his newest project, Code Warriors, will go live. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I know that we just listed a ton of friends of the show. And I do want to point out that you, too, can become a friend of the show. Now, of course, yes, you are already a friend of the show. But if you would like your name or your company name to be announced during every single Thursday Hangout, what you need to do, my friends, is become a patron. Ladies and gentlemen... Ultra Confusion survives on the love and support of fans like you, and so we have a Patreon page. Patreon lets you, the fans, lovers, haters, demigods, interdimensional beings, gods, de uh, demons, aliens, supporters, and much more to become active participants in the work we love through a monthly membership. This gives you access to exclusive content, community, and insight into our creative process. In exchange, we gain a bit more freedom to do our best work and the stability we need to build an even stronger creative career. Currently, there are two two tiers however that could change uh but right now there's a one dollar tier that's one dollar a month or twelve dollars a year and at that tier not only do you gain access to all of the patron only posts and information sessions but you also gain early access to all of our playthroughs which by the way a new playthrough early access playthrough just dropped it's called behind the frame it is not an action driven heavy uh game but Man, does it pull at the, your heartstrings. It makes you really hurt in the feels, man. Really hurt in the feels. Um, which also means that one of the early accesses, early access uh, playthroughs, the Tale of Bastoon is now uh, public for everyone to enjoy. Which, of course, means that the review for Tales of Bastoon is now active on www.alterconfused.com. Now, back to Patreon. Patreon also has a second level. That's a $5 a month level. That's $5 a month or $60 a year. And not only will it get you everything at the $1 level, but it will also, uh, you will also have your name or organization added to our thank you section for every single Thursday night hangout. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash AlterConfusion, all one word, and be a patron today. Now, the more important thing is, ladies and gentlemen, for the 11th year straight, Ultra Confusion will be fundraising for Extra Life. Extra Life is gamers doing what they do best, game, to help sick and injured children at their chosen Children's Miracle Network Hospital. The money that we raise through Extra Life will go directly to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta as unrestricted funds. This means that the hospital decides where and how to spend the money to ensure the dollars we raise make the biggest impact in the lives of the kids they treat. So if you have the capacity to donate, please go to extra-life.org and search for Alter Confusion. And yes, we will be once again attempting the 24... I know, not, not attempting. I'm going to do the... the as I've done for 10 years straight, I I will be doing the 24-hour Gameathon 
for Extra Life, which is in November. And of course, I once again have totally blanked on the exact date, November 5th, 2022. So at bare minimum, ladies and gentlemen, I highly recommend that you tune in to the Ultra Confusion um, stream where I will be streaming for 24 hours straight to help raise money for Extra Life. Yes. All right. Let us get back to the news because we got a couple other bits of news that we can get through real quick. Uh, the first one, this one's super exciting for me. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's it's got to be it's got to touch enough people for it to be big, and that of course is that Gearbox has officially announced that Tiny Tina's Wonderlands is not going to be a one-time deal. There is going to be more. <laughs> on on a um on a call uh, Randy Pitchford who is the CEO of of Gearbox confirmed actually was elated by the fact that Tiny Tina's Wonderland basically blew all expectation out of the water everyone's like you know they they created the game during uh the pandemic uh just as kind of like a silly funny thing and it just took off basically if you haven't seen or played uh tiny tina's wonderlands it's basically the main the main character the main focus tiny tina is this neurotic crazy girl who has an infatuation with explosions uh or sorry explosives and uh she is going to be your dungeon master in a game that's kind of like dungeons and dragons but instead of dungeons and dragons it is bunkers and badasses Nice. And you will be, uh, just think of like Dungeons and Dragons in the Borderlands world. And that's basically the best I could give you. And of course, the um, the the helpful voices that add to the experience, uh, one being Wanda Sykes and the other one being Andy Samberg, it's pretty good. Um, I will say this, uh, what was said was that there's going to be a lot there's going this is going to be a franchise uh what was not said was what does that mean is it going to be milk it for all it's worth sir is it going to be additional expansions or are we talking a brand new game i personally would like an additional a sequel game um the the couple of expansions that they that they've released since the initial release of tiny tina's wonderlands was kind of so I want like I want that whole story. Oh, and also the bad guy is is voiced by Will Arnett. Amazing. Um but that is yeah. I, I want I want that. Now, because you played Tiny Tina's, what do you think of it? Oh, I loved it. I I I mean I put some hardcore hours into it, man. I, I even grinded um the uh the end game stuff after I'd completed the game. I was having so much fun I didn't want to stop. That's the sign of a good game. Now, however, that DLC was kind of just just it was it was throwaway. I mean it's like, yay, you get to do this, but it's really just we're going to put you through a couple of instance situations and woo, you win. I wanted more story. I wanted that that level that was the core game. If you're going to give me expansion that around a game that is story driven, I want more story. I don't want it to feel like a cheap mini game that you just slapped on there. K- 
case in point, there is a um, there uh, the one of the games that I love, um, uh, Alan Wake. One of their expansions was absolute garbage. Um, so we'll see. All right. Now, let's end. Let's let's uh, let's. Speaking of Dungeons and Dragons or bunkers and badasses, but this time let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Wizards of the Coast has announced a new series of free teaching kits that teachers can use to teach language arts and mathematics through Dungeons and Dragons. Fuck yes! Where the hell was this when we were growing up? It was in your basement in the form of Christopher Fryan. This is true. However, I would love to have had it sanctioned by my teachers. I'm telling you, this is your opportunity to support your kids' education at their school and start leading an after-school D&D club. Leveraging this platform. Funny fact, uh, friend of the show, supporter of the show, longtime uh, buddy of ours, Eddie Webb, the mastermind behind games such as Pugmire or Monarchy of Mal, um, I've actually got, I mean, we're, we're not actively running the session right now, but myself and my sons, uh, 10 year old and seven year old, uh, are running a, um, uh, a long running Pugmire campaign right now. Nice. Yeah. I got like, dude, I got super into it. Like I was like sketching out maps and I was writing down, um, I was going through uh, Pugmire's rule book to, to make sure that I was making my monstrous creations correctly. I was, oh man, I was into it. So yeah, but does, uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast are going to, uh, not only are they doing it for the teachers, but also there's going to be a starter set, uh, for the kids that, uh, along with instructions and guidelines for basically they want to start Dungeons and Dragons uh clubs at school hello stranger things the hellfire club they just want to put that and you know what if i wasn't i mean i would i would probably if if this was happening when i was growing up winter i'd be all over it because unfortunately i was on a i was on a team on in uh the fall and in the spring but winter if there was a Dungeons and Dragons club, I would just add it to my science club presidency. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, go from there. Our school had one. It was, they just played normal D&D and did the thing. So, I mean, but, but the, so if, ladies and gentlemen, if you are in the educational system, uh, reach out to Wizards of the Coast to find out more information because you could get like a lot of free stuff to help make sure that this club is run the right oh, way. They want to get the gateway drug going, get the kids into it. And then all of a sudden it's like, now they have to have all the DM books that they're asking their parents for, for Christmas. Exactly. It's brilliant marketing, really. Brilliant. 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 But anyways, uh, that is um, really freaking cool. Um, not only will uh, will the, the what, they're, what they're calling Dragons of Stormwreck Isle starter set have instructions, guidelines for club organizations. Uh, we'll have a quick demo, a learn to play guide for Dungeon Masters, easy to read character cards, a poster to advertise your club, and flyers 
all at no cost. No cost coast. Jesus. What about like I could maybe some adults need this too, so they can learn how to play. Just say. Maybe they don't need the flyers, but the nice little introduction, because it's gonna be daunting to like people who never played as kids. Okay, so here's but so so here is my my like I guess my transition question is is there a game out there, be it a board game, a video game, whatever, that you find too daunting unless you had some sort of demo or or a rules expert to sit with you through at least the first couple experiences? I think after having tried it once, I put Twilight Imperium in that category. Where we didn't be- play the game. We read the rule book for what, four hours? So for those who don't know, Twilight, so there's like your more serious board games out there. Yeah. Um, and Twilight Imperium is widely regarded as like one of the more, one of the most hardcore games of all, meaning there's very complex. So basically Twilight Imperium, it's a game set in space and basically are trying to be the global dominant force in space. Mm-hmm. Extremely complex rule set. So like on your turn, there's like multiple things you can do with cards and trading with other players and just all kinds of other stuff to go on. And the first couple rounds, like you're spending a lot of time going through the rules and figuring out like, wait, what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? Um, It seemed like a really cool game. It's not bashing or anything. It's just super complex. And it's one of those games where there's certain games for having playing with somebody who can just kind of tell you this is how you play it the first time makes life much simpler. Like if a buddy Bobby will play and he's played so many board games where he'll just explain to you the first time through and it's just a lot easier than reading the rule set um, to just kind of give you those little things and also things as a player that they just kind of know that maybe – the rules didn't explain it very well as hard as they try. It's just easier having a human there to kind of fill in those gaps. I, so I would say yes. definitely a game like Twilight Imperium is absolutely a game. Um, where if you're going to play it, have somebody who's played before. I I will fully admit, I have at least the base game and maybe one or two expansions to it, and but I've never played it because I find it Two, first of all, I would need a gaming group. One, two, I find it too daunting to try to figure out the rules without without having the ability to ask for clarification on stuff. And that is Arkham Horror. Mm. I want to play that game so bad. I wanted to play the game so bad, but I actually reached out to. Remember when Will Wheaton was doing those like uh, one offs where he was showing off board games and stuff? I actually reached out to him like, "Is there? Are you going to do Arkham Horror?" Because if so, I'd be all over that because I really want to play that game. But the way that y'all explain the rules on your on your your stream are amazing. And he's like, we would love to do it, but it would take a lot of sessions. I was like, damn it. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Um, yeah, I would definitely say any of those type of board games, I would definitely say those are the ones where you want to have somebody who's played the game before to kind of walk you through it. Um, Cause I think it also, I would say for two reasons, one, it just makes it a lot easier and less stressful. And two, I think if you played the more complicated board games, it mm-hmm. can became a situation of like 
too many chefs in the kitchen where you have like six people trying to be like, let me see the rule book. You're taking too long to read that. Let me just talk you out. We're just kind of have like one person who's like, all right, I'm going to describe to you how to play it. It also really simplifies that part of the process as far as kind of how do you play it. You kind of have one person in charge instead of every, everyone kind of trying to figure out can actually be more of a pain in the ass. Well, that, I mean, that's that's really the the one problem with, you know, getting all excited about playing a brand new board game with a bunch of people who've never played the board game and then having to deal with different interpretations of yeah. specific things, especially if, if it's like, you know, very complex rule yep. set. Uh, yeah, sure. And people go, no, 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 no. That's not how you're supposed to interpret it. Like, you never played the game. Well, you haven't either. So, bleh. Um, oh, if it helps, it's like, I don't remember the name of the board game. I'm not going to try, but it was almost like a Arthurian type of board game where it's, you know, it was one of those um, cooperative type of games where you're taking on like some evil wizard and their minions. Mm -hmm. We actually found some YouTube videos that were actually really good to follow along with where he would kind of go through the rule set as it described in the rule book, but then he would go through an actual demo of the game following that where you kind of follow along so that's the beauty that's the and one that thing we were missing when we were growing up was youtube informational videos very true so i would say in a game like that where it was a pretty intense rule set that kind of condensed it down from us trying to read the rules and figuring out for like four hours versus like one half hour video it was like oh that makes a lot more sense i think we so. did a total of three turns in that game before my wife's like okay you all got to go home that was like four hours. It wasn't just like an hour. It was... Yes, yeah. we, we studied the rule book for three hours and 20, 25 minutes, and we played for 35 minutes before my wife's like, okay, seriously, go home. I was ready to pull an old dare. Yeah, an old dare. Mm. Okay, I know we're, we're low on time, but I do want to bring up one more story. Uh, this one deals with a lawsuit that's uh, currently out there. Uh, many of you may have heard about AIM Junkies and Phoenix Digital, uh, who allegedly created cheat software for a Bungie mm. game, uh, Destiny. Um, and basically, Bungie is suing them uh, for creating, you know, basically uh, uh, copyright infringement uh, and all that jazz, right? But here is an interest. Here's an interesting update to the story. The uh, at least I want to say it's at least Aim Junkies is now countersuing Bungie <laughs> because Aim Junkies says they have proof that Bungie hacked into their their computers to find supporting evidence on the lawsuit of them creating the the cheat software. Which of course means that they violated the the um they violated a bunch of different laws out there in order yeah. to gain dirt so that they could win their lawsuit. Yep, that's a little bit sketchy. <laughs> so uh let's see, uh they're claiming that uh they uh that Bungie accessed a specific individual uh computer um multiple times which, of course, is a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. <laughs> uh, I'm waiting. So, you know, all of your Bungie games, they're going to have a new EULA. 
And it's going to be like 10 pages of basically we're allowed to hack your computer. Well, I, see, the thing is like, uh, one of one of the rumors rumors is that Bungie is actually utilizing their anti cheat software That's to true, yeah. to uh, basically circumnavigate any type of um, protection that an individual would have on their computer, uh, so that they could then dig up the dirt they need to win their lawsuit against the individual. That's what the guys truly uh, counter suing for. That was kind of my first thought, and. From a ethics standpoint, that's obviously bullshit and shouldn't happen. No. But I guess the question from a purely legal perspective, what's actually there? Um, you think about like Sony and the rootkit from years ago. That's basically what that did. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. That's, I mean, obviously I hope that Bungie doesn't win because I don't think obviously corporations should be invading your computer and seeing what's on there sounds mighty sketchy. Um, so yeah, who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. But I find it, it's, it's a very interesting situation. Now, a, it could be an interesting legal precedent either way for sure. Um, Cause I yes, mean, yes, yeah. absolutely. This dude made this dude, and and friends made some cheat software. However, in order to gain as much concrete evidence as possible, the company that's that's suing them is utilizing their software in a nefarious way to circumnavigate the protections of that individual. And who's to say that that individual that 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 the the company Bungie is only getting information around the cheat. Could the Bungie be also uh, siphoning off other uh, files and whatnot off this individual's computer? Well, that's always the questions. Like when you have any kind of you know bring it outside the realm of just that. Um, that's where people like when Amazon bought Roomba. Yep. That was one of the first things people were afraid of. It's like, wait, Amazon's already in my house with um, Alexa. You already have the ring doorbell. Yep. And now you have your floor mapping with Roomba. Mm -hmm. Basically, the worry is, I think for good reason, is Amazon's going to use um, basically that data to data mine the entire existence of humanity as we know it. Um, they can get a rough estimate of your square footage based off of where your Roomba goes. Yes, you're going to start getting like recommendations on Amazon.com for like floor rugs. Floor rugs that fill up 600 square feet. I'm like, huh, that's very accurate. That's amazing. <laughs> huh, that's a wow. little weird. <laughs> so that's kind of, so in a kind of tangential way. Um, and I mean, we already know for a fact that Ring is giving, Amazon with the Ring is giving over footage to the FBI. Mm -hmm. Um, so who knows what else is happening? Uh, there's a cheap, um, it's really popular. I can't think of the company right now, but it's a video camera um, recording service for one of your security cameras. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, oh, it's Wise, W-Y-Z-E. The camera's like 30 bucks a piece. Mm -hmm. And everything rebounds good, but the other catch is, is they also are known to full home data to China. 
Yep. And so it's like, who knows what that data actually is that's being from? And I know, I know I'm really putting on my tinfoil hat right now. I totally realize that. Um, but that's also when you bring all the smart shit into your home. Right. Who knows? Like, there's a reason, like, when I'm at home, I actually turn off, like, I got my little smart outlets. I actually turn off the outlet itself mm -hmm. to the camera. Mm -hmm. um, just to be like, I want to make sure the camera's actually off. Because well, I really believe the light on the camera. Um, no. However, my security cameras stay on the whole time because I have children who sneak out at night and try to get uh, food or candy or whatever. Eventually, they'll figure out they can just go out the um, window, come around the other window, fully out of the view of the camera the entire okay. time. They, they are on the second floor, technically, because their bedrooms are above the office, which puts them on a second floor. So they can't go out the window, one. Uh Rope ladder. Two. Rope ladder. Hello. Uh, the Be cameras, like thank you very much, are positioned in such a way that they couldn't get to what they're, they're trying, their main goal is without knocking out the camera. And in order to knock out the camera, they'd be spotted on the camera. Thank you very much. Are they electrical? Are they Wi-Fi or hardwired into your switch? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Actually, it'd be really simple. They just disconnect your router downstairs from the basement. Problem solved. Good thing the router is on video. <laughs> Damn. Ha, 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 ha. What if they put a blanket over their head so you didn't actually know it was them? Okay. My children are two different sizes. And if one were to try to change their size, they're not that good. Ooh. One could get on the other kid's shoulders. Therefore, they're different height than their two natural heights. You don't actually know who it is. Okay. They would be scraping the ceiling. So I would know something's really messed up. I'm just saying. I'm, there's I'm a, just there's saying a, right back at you. You just got to be creative. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're about to wrap up, but I do want to ask Zelius real quick. What have you been playing? I rolled back into Mass Effect 1 because I still need to finish that up. Oh, Mako, Mako, Mako. You just couldn't get enough of the Mako. <laughs> um, maybe it's because I'm actually in the PC, but it doesn't actually feel as bad for some reason. You doing mouse and keyboard or, key or gamepad? Mouse and keyboard. Maybe that's it. Uh, I, of course, continue to play the shit out of uh, Legend of Terra. Um, I have a problem. Eh, don't we all? But I finally completed all of the um, the event quests that I need to do, so I don't get that that awkward in the store. Here's all the shit that you could have unlocked if you had just played the game. Well, I've been playing the crap out of the game, but some of the the uh, the challenges were insane. But I finally completed the last one, so I good. I good. Um, I'm actually addicted to a new idle game, uh -oh. idle research. What is that? Idle research. So basically you're researching flask to basically get the next flask to make the original flask give you more energy faster. Okay. That's the simple way. And then you research things to research better flask faster and there's prestige. And I just unlocked a whole new map where you do flask battles and now you're battling against other flask. Um, so that's the new mode I just unlocked. Um, 
I'm liking it so far. Okay. Well, I'm just going to keep with my Cody cross where my vocabulary will just increase. I prefer to help discover the entropy of Flash to help save the world. Okay. Is, are you saying Flask? Like F-L-A-S-K? What the f are you saying? Yes. Like beakers. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but your yes, there are flasks that hold basically different liquids. And depending on the liquid inside is how fast you create energy. Okay. It's a thing. If it's it was a, if it was at home or or, or, or no, sorry, uh folding at home or or SETI, I'd be all over it. But no, thank you. There hey, was a merge game you I was playing. Huh? You played idle games too. I know. I've got a very I've I've also played a shit ton of merge games. There was one merge game that was kind of interesting that if you did enough, that actually gain you enough points for the company to actually plant a tree in your honor. I didn't know the validity of it. It sounded cool. And I planted like three trees and then I just kind of got bored with it. <laughs> so anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to the Ultra Confusion Thursday Night Hangout. For myself, Charlie and Zelia, it's been a pleasure getting ready to come our heads, our mouths, and of course, our hearts. We'll be back next Thursday for another Ultra Confusion Thursday Night Hangout. Remember, kids, keep on gaming in the free world. Amen to that, brother.